Before we begin, a brief message from this episode's sponsor, Contract Diagnostics. They are a firm that is 100% dedicated to physician contract reviews. They provide a service that all physician families will need at least one time in their careers. They've helped over 10,000 physicians understand not only what they are signing, but what risk they're taking for their family. All contracts are reviewed by an in-house attorney and presented in a simplified way back to you using custom documentation, compensation data, and times outside normal business hours. They make it easy for you. All packages are flat priced, so you know what you will pay up front. Residents and fellows can even make interest-free payments over time. So look them up at drpodcastnetwork.com slash contract diagnostics or call 888-574-5526. Welcome to another episode of the Medical Liability Minute, where we talk for more than a minute about cases uh, medical legal cases that are in the news. We're joined today with our general counsel at Medical Justice, Mike Sakopoulos. Welcome, Mike. Hi, happy to be with you. Today, we're going to talk about ransomware, class action lawsuits, COVID-19, you know, the easy stuff. So why don't you <laughs> introduce the case de jour? I will. This comes to us from the great state of Florida. Over the summer, the Florida Orthopedic Institute uh, was a victim of a ransomware attack. This occurred in April, and a full investigation quickly ensued. And within 30 days, a determination had been made that the data that had been encrypted via the ransomware may also have been accessed and exfiltrated from the uh, the practices database. So that presents a real problem, right? Now we have patient information that well could have been taken from the, the practice. That triggers all kinds of, of problems under HIPAA. But for the immediate time, the bigger problem was that a class action lawsuit was filed by the law firm of Morgan & Morgan. You may well be familiar with them from their uh, 3 a.m. advertisements on those cable channels deep into your uh, package. And the uh, the lawsuit alleges that the uh, Florida Orthopedic Institute was, and, and I shall read the list, lackadaisical, cavalier, reckless, or at the very least, negligent. Mm, at the very least, hand, at the very least, at, at the huh? very least, right? Yes, um, at the very least, negligent. And so <clears throat> the, the lawsuit's alleging that they've mishandled their cybersecurity and therefore uh, subjected uh, patient records to being essentially accessed or, or stolen uh, from their, their databases. So that's the basis of the lawsuit. And if you think, okay, well, what could be involved in that? 
the alleged damages are at least $99 million. More than 100,000 patients' records are involved, and that number could top 150,000. So this is no small location, and it is a large data set of patients that has potentially been violated. So we've got a lot to talk about uh, here, with, and, and all of this is, is ongoing as we record, right? I don't have any uh, jury verdicts or any final uh, sayings on how this uh, was, what the disposition of this whole case is. But you have a lawsuit that's pending. But we do have, we do have a lawsuit that is pending. So we know that much, and we also know that ransomware in the uh, age of, of the coronavirus has gone up dramatically. The FBI, as well as Health and Human Services, have been issuing warnings. Much of this be is because people working at home, accessing systems remotely, and testing the, the limits of, of cyber uh, security at a time <clears throat> when uh, cyber uh, criminals are homebound as well and have a plenty of opportunity to try to uh, get into systems and take take records uh, because of the monetary value of them. So caution to all on, on ransomware, it has become an extraordinary uh, problem. It was already a large problem and has become a far larger problem in the age of uh, COVID-19. So, so you've got two problems to start. You've got the actual ransomware itself which locks up the records, meaning that they cannot be accessed for use by doctors, patients, or staff. The second problem is the potential data breach. They're not, they're not exactly the same thing. These are two separate problems, correct? That, that's, that's exactly right. You can, you can have one without the, uh, without the other. Um, so you can imagine that your database becomes encrypted, but no one was originally able to access the data. That's a ransomware clean and simple, um, but it's oftentimes hard to know whether the data was first accessed. And so under the current laws, you have to assume that it was accessed unless you can prove otherwise, which is very difficult. And I think the situation here is that they were unable to prove whether or not any information has been accessed. Therefore, the presumption is it was, and you have to move forward in that, that fashion. So any investigation of this is going to cost money. Why don't we talk about what would be nice to have in place in advance of a breach and, and for meaning a nice pool of cash. But if you don't want to use your own cash, you use insurance. And I know nobody likes to purchase insurance and the cost of cyber liability insurance is not trivial, but it's not it's not particularly expensive compared to the benefit. You you don't need it until you need it, then you really need it. It's like a parachute. You generally don't need a parachute until you're falling out of a plane, then you really need it. And I think understanding the range of cyber liability coverage that is out there now is important and getting it priced, working with a vendor that is trusted and has deep financial pockets to help not just pay for a potential ransom, but to pay for the investigation to help you get back on your feet as quickly as possible. Very few healthcare institutions or practices can sit this out for one month or two months and still remain viable. Practices need to be back online ASAP. And that's why while the FBI doesn't tell you to pay ransoms, they they often don't tell you 
it, that it's forbidden to pay ransoms. I mean, you can certainly see um, if the price is not unreasonable to make the payment, typically this will be in Bitcoins, um, you want to make sure that your policy has uh, enough oomph in there to get you back on your feet as quickly as possible. Why don't you talk a little bit about the different types of cyber liability coverage that are out there? You're not an insurance agent. You don't make any money off of this. At least I don't think you do. Nope, not 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 a penny, not not a broker, not licensed, but a huge uh, fan of cyber insurance simply because this is a threat that is uh, tremendous to to practices. And in why I say that is, uh, studies show somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 to 350 dollars per patient per breach. Uh, so if you were Re to look wait, at repeat that one more time, how many yeah. dollars per patient per breach? So there's a, an organization, a think tank out of Michigan, the Potomac Institute, who's really kind of the forefront of this. And their estimation, and, and others could take a little issue with this, but it's in the category of $300 to $350 per patient on average for an electronic breach. So figure out how many patients you have in your database and start to multiply by 300 to 350, the number so becomes even huge. If it's a thousand, let's, let's assume we're dealing with just a small practice that's been doing its thing solo doctor for 20 years. And let's say they take care of a thousand patients a year. I mean, that's, they probably take more than a thousand, take care of more than a thousand patients a year, but let's just use that because it's easier to multiply. So we said a thousand patients, 20 years, that's 20,000 times 350 i mean we're talking about a significant, yeah millions upon millions uh, of potential outlay there it's, and it's, I, it's potentially catastrophic right for for a practice and that's why i think that you are um reckless to the the point of foolish not to have an appropriate amount of cyber coverage and again I don't sell this stuff and I'm not advocating one company over another. I'm just telling you, you need to work with your broker to do this. There is a lot that is involved. You think you just got to get your records back online. Well, let's assume you pay the ransom. Typically, the data comes back in poor form and it requires people to work on it for some uh, days, if not weeks, to make it actually usable. Again, assuming that the uh, that you even get access to it once you pay the ransom, right? You're you assuming not. there's honor amongst thieves and that exactly. in the marketplace of ransomware, that if people were paying the ransom and never got their records back sooner or later, nobody would ever pay the ransom. You'd assume that your records were dead and you just move on, correct? That that That's right. Um, but, but in what I know is that typically they come back in a form that requires some degree of effort to uh, to clean it up so it, it, it's still still usable. The ransom or the encryption process that's used is not easily uh, reversed into perfect uh, form. So expect some, some grief along the way, even if you're provided access. And then <clears throat> the IT portion aside, you've now tripped the trigger into all kinds of legal obligations of notifying patients. Mm -hmm. And you could be in a place where I am close to a state line where there are patients across in a different state and they have to be notified pursuant to their state law. So all of a sudden you're trying to determine how people, who gets notified and what needs to be included in the notification. What are the timings of the notifications? Do we have to notify the attorney generals in that state 
and which states do we have to notify. The federal government also needs to be notified in breach situations. So income lawyers on this, again, not inexpensive to deal with. Why don't you start with the situation where you may not have to notify anyone? Can you give me an example of a supposed breach or potential breach where you don't have to notify any entity? So this comes down, it's a great question, and it comes down to the definition of, of a breach. And the question is, could the records have been accessed? And if you can prove electronically that there was no accessing of the records, then mm -hmm. it's not a, a breach. Alternatively, there are some other things that can be done. Certain levels of encryption of data at rest are presumed to be safe, and therefore, if you've met those standards, no breach um, under under the law. And so we're starting to of these kind of laws too, right? That you, you've met a safe harbor because you have a certain degree of, of encryption of these, these records, and therefore, mm -hmm. we're going to assume that there was no breach. Um, legally, it's assumed that, so you're, you're out of out of the hot water. So let's say that you have your laptop in the car and that laptop has, let's say a thousand records on it, a thousand patient records with details of all their protected health information, but you've used the native encryption software BitLocker on your laptop for Windows. Um, and you set it up properly so that everything is being encrypted and uh, someone breaks into your car um, takes all of your valuable items, including the laptop. Your laptop has clearly been stolen. What obligations do you have related to reporting the breach, if any? This is probably the easiest one of all, I'm guessing. Easiest one because legally it would not be considered a breach because of the, the proper encryption. It would just need to be documented into your, your HIPAA log that you've experienced this and this is why it was not a breach because it was up to these standards and um, you're 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 all set no legal breach no need to, no need to to notify um, anyone you're out the laptop and not much not much else so take home message number one encrypt 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 um, it's not unusual for a laptop to be lost or stolen it's not unusual for a memory stick to be lost or stolen um, they make memory sticks that are encrypted um, natively. You can purchase them. I don't know what they're called now. I know I purchased them years ago called Iron Key, and you need to you use your own password. You 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 create your password initially just to um, initialize it and get it started. Uh, but if you want to use it going forward, um, you have to put in your password. So it's a great thing to use. Um, always encrypted. Um, phones. Phones, I guess I would say modern phones are encrypted at rest, but this can become quite complicated, can it not? It, it can be, and this is where I think that most people are, are best to have some IT professional look it over. The other thing that you're required to do is a, as a risk assessment every year, and your security risk assessment should be looking at this saying, do we have the appropriate level of encryption? Is everything up to speed in case we um, lose a, a thumb drive or lose a, a cell phone or a laptop. Uh, so talk we, about okay? what a talk for a moment about what a HIPAA risk assessment is. I can guarantee you that of the people listening to this podcast right now, 
the majority will not know what a risk assessment is, nor will they have done it, yet it is a requirement if you deal with protected health information, correct? That's exactly right. It comes under, under the same laws, HIPAA and the High Tech Act. And the, uh, the law is such that you're to do these on a routine basis, a word that only lawyers could come up with, right? Does, it's not very descriptive. Does that mean every six months, every five years? Most people are saying that routine means annually or every 18 months. And it's a top to bottom look at how you're handling patient information, protected health information, PHI. So this needs to be done in a written form. There is no obligation that you have to hire some third party, although many believe that it is much more thorough and accurate if you have an outsider look at, at your system, but you're not legally required to do that. You are legally required to take a pause and examine how protected health information is being handled within your practice and your IT structure and have that written up in the form of a, of a report. I will tell you that the folks that enforce HIPAA at the federal level, the Office of Civil Rights, this is the very first thing that they ask for when there's a problem. They ask to be sent your most uh, recent security uh, risk assessment. All right. So if you lose your laptop, and let's say it was not encrypted, and you have an obligation to report in the follow-up conversation with the Office of Civil Rights, what you're saying is one of the first questions will be, let's take a peek at your HIPAA risk assessment and it may very well be that you don't have one, and that would not be getting that conversation off to a good start, correct? No, not 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 at all. And the tolerance of the Office of Civil Rights has waned in recent years. They felt like this has been a requirement for many, many years, and that it has been wholesale ignored by uh, much of the medical uh, practice and that something needed to be done to get people's attention. So now we are seeing more and more penalties coming out for not having this. The idea that you can say, oh, well, I didn't know, is no longer going to work because of the fact this requirement has been around uh, for more than a decade. Well, let's, let's describe the flip side. Let's say for the moment that you report the breach and then they say, great, show us your HIPAA risk assessment, and it's awesome, it's detailed, it talks about physical security. It talks about um, the types of protections you have with your computers in-house, as well as the cloud services and all the little details associated with that, including firewalls. It talks about training of your staff, how they avoid phishing. I would think that pulling out that document would be a tour de force. Um, it, it, I don't know that it would eliminate the problem that you're facing, but I think it would certainly take some of the sting out. And if there's any discretion related to penalties, you may be working your way down to a penalty of zero. I think that, that that's right. What Office of Civil Rights is looking for is uh, people making an effort to, to comply. And look, everyone has problems and there can be a breach. We've seen it even at uh, places like the Department of Defense, right, or the CIA. There, no one is 100% secure. What we're looking for here is that you're complying with the law and that you're making a real effort to do so. And that's going to take you way, way down the road. Because quite frankly, there's so many people that are not, they're going to focus on those folks. Has there ever been a breach at the um, Office of Civil Rights for Department of Health and Human Services? Oh, there, there, there has been. 
much <laughs> the glee of many attorneys and uh, those uh, tattooed by the Office of Civil Rights. They, they've had their own, they've had their own problems. Who amongst us, right? It, exactly. Let those, um, yeah, don't don't uh, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. I guess <laughs> something like that, correct? Well, talk about what what is the civil rights. What are the types of things you would be looking at? Um, you said it is possible to do to do it yourself, do a risk assessment on your own. Let's say you're a solo practitioner and you do want this documentation. It sounds like the things that you want to think about would be the physical security of your structure. You don't leave your doors open. You obviously lock them. And what are the types of locks that you have? Uh, the training that your employees have in terms of treating protected health information as being confidential and what care is taken there. What types of computer systems you do use? Um, paperwork, I'm guessing, um, having all your business associate agreements in place. I mean, there's probably a great deal that can be done and I would think it's, it's a very daunting task starting from zero and getting a complete and total risk assessment. Maybe one way to think about it is to just bite it off pieces at a time. You don't have to be totally secure. I mean, you want to be, that's an aspirational goal, but a more realistic goal is to just start biting these off one piece at a time. I think that, that that's right. And you just have to think about how information could be um, accessed inappropriately or where is it at, at risk as you as you go. So you, you're right. You mentioned you physically are, are, are doors locked. Okay. What about if um, you no longer have certain employees? Do you have a protocol by which they cannot access or that you get keys back or you change uh, codes to get into buildings once someone is no longer there? What are your protocols for that? So some former employee doesn't come back to access information. These are the kind of things that uh, you need to think through. What about software that's out of date, no longer being supported? That's a per se risk. And so is all of our software uh, still being supported and is it all up, up to date? These are the kind of things that we need to look at in a risk assessment. How do we do it? And, and who's also in charge of seeing that all of this uh, takes place, that we have a go-to person that is uh, doing it? So, so let's say that you had a computer on Windows 7, which worked uh, quite a while. Now Windows 10 is what is supported. Windows 7 is not supported unless you have a, an explicit licensing agreement with Microsoft. And they are providing security updates for those who continue to make these specific payments, but they've certainly tried to get everybody to move up to Windows 10 for at least you know the individual units. I'm not talking about server software, but if you decided to stay put with Windows 7 and never upgraded to Windows 10 for your office systems and there's a breach and it may be related to a security breach because of a lack of a patch update, that would be per se a violation. Even if there's not a breach, even if there's not a breach just the simple fact that you're using something that is not secure is, uh, is actionable under under the act. So um, they, they take this very seriously and there've been people that have had problems, even if not a single record got out, just when the investigation was going forward that they found they're using all this out of date software that's not supported, it's considered just a, in and of itself a per se violation. I've got to stop right now and make a plug for Mike and the Medical Risk Institute. <laughs> he got involved with 
trying to make sense out of HIPAA and keep doctors out of the crosshairs, including the, the HIPAA risk assessment, et cetera. And he's able to do this at a price I've never seen anywhere else. And it's kind of, we're on, we're on camera right now. You can't see us with a podcast and he's blushing, but um, I'm telling you, I have had interactions with multiple vendors who charge a fortune for this stuff. He charges way too little for this, but uh, you definitely want that document in place if and when there's a breach, because as he describes, if there is a breach and you have to do any type of reporting, the first thing the Office of Civil Rights will want to see is your HIPAA risk assessment. And if you pull it out and it's detailed and exhaustive and thoughtful, I think I can't say it will guarantee that you will not have a problem, but I think the your risk goes down. Your your risk assessment goes down. It's something you definitely want. Well, you're you're very kind, and I think that that's right. It goes down, and there there are even um, certain uh, cyber carriers that will look at uh, risk assessments and provide a, a a reduction in premium based upon how much effort you're going to keep this information secure that they're insuring. So some benefits there too. Well, it's interesting that you could purchase cyber cyber liability insurance without even presenting a HIPAA risk assessment. Don't you find that fascinating? It, that that I do. Um, but, you know, everybody's risk tolerance, including insurance carriers, is different. This podcast was brought to you by Contract Diagnostics. This is a company that specializes in contract reviews. And specialization is something we can all appreciate here. So again, when you or your family have contract needs, give them a call. They'll help you understand your contract and make sure it lines up with your interest and protect the assets that you covet most, namely your time and your family. Find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash contract diagnostics or call 888 574 and with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague, and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epizen Frank O, news, at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups, 
and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.